Welcome to the Watershed Teaching Podcast. Watershed is the high school ministry of Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Perimeter Church is part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Watershed is a place where we hope high school students would connect, receive, and transform. We want to see students connect with God and others through healthy community, receive His truth through gospel-centered, grace-based teaching, and be transformed by the gospel to then go transform their world. Thank you for downloading this podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.perimeter.org slash watershed. Hey, guys. Howdy. Yeah, howdy. That's right. Uh, okay, sure. Uh, my name is Jimmy, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm on staff here. And I'm so thankful. There's like coffee spilled. Like It looks like a, a murder scene because it has like... That's really graphic. I don't know why I went straight to that. That's super inappropriate. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> they don't teach you that in seminary, friends. Uh, they're a lot better than that. Um, so we're starting a new series, and it's called And. And what we are doing in this series, we're going to go through the, the first chapter of Romans. And I know that uh, if you've grown up in the church or whether you're new to the church, you probably have heard this letter from Paul to the Roman church. Uh, you probably have read verses out of it. Some of my favorite verses are in the book of Romans or the letter to the Romans. Um, some of you have probably been told, hey, if you want to get a deeper understanding of theology, of the gospel, know a little bit more about this Jesus guy, go to the book of Romans or to the letter to the Romans, that is. Uh, and there's a lot of great stuff in it. And there's, there's a reason why we tell people, hey, if you are curious about who Jesus says he is, and you want to hear a defense of who Jesus is, go to this letter. And so that's one of the things that we wanted to do as a, as a ministry is be committed to the teaching of God's word. And we're going to do it through looking at this chapter, chapter one of Romans, over the next several weeks. And so don't tune out, don't tune this out. This is so, so important. And I think tonight's message in particular um, it has some deep, deep, um, meaningful impact in our lives. And it's this idea of identity. Now, one of the things I'm sure you guys are very well aware of, if you watch any TV or YouTube ads or are just aware of marketing out there, there's this phenomenon right now of doing DNA testing, right? Not for like the sake of just paternity testing or things like that, but like I want to know what my makeup is, right? Um, like I'm Korean. I'm pretty certain there's a strong, strong uh, confirmation that in my DNA there's a lot of Koreanness in me, but I'm, I'm still curious. As a Korean guy, I want to know like, well, how Korean am I, right? Um, I don't know. Maybe some of you guys have done this. Um, maybe you have a longing to do this, but uh, as I was thinking about this talk and as I was thinking about that phenomenon, this commercial came to my mind, and I want you guys to watch it with me.
And so this guy obviously put a lot, a lot of energy into this wishful thinking that I'm a Viking. I have Viking blood in me. Even though it's 0.012%, it makes me a Viking nonetheless, right? So there's this idea of what is it that makes you, right? And if you know me, you've heard me talk about this probably ad nauseum, this idea that even though I may identify as a Korean American, even though I identify as a husband, uh, as a, a father, as a son to my parents, as a brother to my brother, right? Those things do not define me. It is true that those are things about me, but what defines me is my identity in Christ. And so if you haven't put it together yet, that's what we're talking about tonight, is this idea of who we are, who you are, in Jesus Christ. So now this talk is going to be unabashedly for you who say that you are a Christian. Now, if those of you are in here are hearing this and you're like, I'm not a Christian, I'm still investigating, I am antagonistic toward the gospel, I'm antagonistic to this idea of of church, of religion, of the gospel, still listen, because I think this has uh, incredible value to you as well. We're talking about this identity in Christ. And some of us, some of us, we, we take our identity in Christ very seriously. But if we're completely honest, and if you're like me, you may have thought this at some point in your life. And uh, I'm going to be taking a lot of quotes out from this book called Union with Christ. It's been one of my favorite books I've read over the last couple of years. It is long. I'm not going to be shy about that. It is a long book. But if you have a spare 25 bucks to spend, this is definitely a book to get. And I do think for those of you who are in high school, this would be an incredible book to add to your, uh, to your wish list or get onto your bookshelf because it is such an important doctrine of the Christian faith, this idea of being united with Christ. And that's what identity in Christ really is. It's union with Christ. And that's what the cover looks like. It's by a guy named Rankin Wilburn. Uh, interesting fact or tidbit about him. He's a white guy who pastors a church out in Los Angeles And his church is mainly made up, or not mainly, but there's a good number of Asian Americans. If you've ever been to Southern California, uh, you know that there's a lot of diversity there. And it's really cool to see how he ministers almost as a minority to other minorities. Really fascinating to see. Union with Christ, great book. He says this, uh, I think in the introduction, he has a couple of quotes here. The first one is this. He said, I had seen enough of Jesus to spoil my enjoyment of the world but not enough to be content with Jesus alone. Let's just stop. We're going to leave that on the screen for just a second. I want that to sink in for a second. He's being completely raw, open, and honest about his own walk and relationship with Jesus. And this is a pastor. And he's saying, I'd seen enough of Jesus where the world was not going to be enough for me anymore. But I still had not seen enough where Jesus was everything to me. That in a nutshell, encapsulates what the Christian life looked like for me when I was in high school. I knew Jesus, I knew that he was important, but I didn't fully get it. He also says this, my primary understanding of the gospel was that Jesus had accomplished something for me once a long time ago. How many of us find that true? I'm not asking right now, but think about that. I understand that Jesus did something for me. But that was a long time ago. What ramification, what importance, what impact, what effect does that have on me today right now? And I tell you, it has everything to do right now for you as a follower of Jesus Christ. 
I wish and I hope and I long to see our church and our students especially to grab a hold onto this identity of Christ. And what that means is union with Christ and what impact and how that ought to carry us as we move forward with, um, with a relationship with Jesus. So with that, I want us to turn to Romans chapter 1. We're going to read the first seven verses here. Uh, this is a letter, so I'm just going to do this real, real quick. I'm not going to go into a ton of kind of con- contextual explanation of what letters were. Paul was, uh, in essence, he was a missionary. He was an apostle, right, called by Jesus uh, to go out to places not named Jerusalem or not Israel. Called out to go into the world. And one of his desires was to plant churches, to go out to these different places where there are already Jewish people, but to tell the Jewish people about this Jesus guy. And not only the Jewish people, but also the Gentiles, non-Jews, right? Um, and so he went to all of these different regions. Rome was one that he wanted to go to. He had not yet been there. And one of the ways that Paul kept in touch with churches in general or reached out to churches was to write them letters. Because again, transportation back then, communication back then, Uh, very limited. Excuse me. And so this is what he's doing. He writes a letter, which was a very common thing to do back in ancient uh, or uh, in the apostolic age when you think about uh, post-Jesus. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. We've got more. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, the Romans, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that's a, a very typical way of opening up a letter. It's, it's, it's pretty fascinating, in fact. If you ever do like a, a study on, uh, on Greek literature, um, you will see like Paul follows the letter form to a T. It's as if, hey, how do you guys write letters? That way? Okay, I'll do the same thing. And uh, obviously throws in a lot of mention about Jesus. Um, I want to talk to you about three things today. Just three simple things. The first point is this, that our identity in Christ, it means that I must decrease. Identity in Christ means that I must decrease. And that's pure and simple. To be identified with Christ, to be united with him, means he must increase and I must decrease. It's something that John the Baptist said in John chapter 3, verse 30. I had a college roommate. This was like his life verse. Like he ended all of his emails, John 3, 30. He must increase, I must decrease. Uh, And what's funny is that he was the most pompous, uh, stubborn, proud guy um, you could ever meet. All right? Uh, How do I know this? Because me as a new move mover or someone who had just moved to Atlanta— had no, like, affiliation with any baseball team. I was like, all right, well, I'll start cheering on the Braves. Like, that's my best chance of going to a World Series. Um, It's been a pretty dry 15 years, uh, more than that. And um, he was a diehard Mets fan. And, oh, my gosh, I'm telling you, like, it was miserable living in an apartment with him. Uh, And yet every email that I got from him, he must increase, I must decrease. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what needs to happen with you, Richie. Um, so anyways, this was his life verse. 
And he, I, I heard him teach on this maybe like 10 different times uh, in the time that we were together because we were doing ministry together. And um, this was his life because he knew how stubborn and proud he was. And yet you look at the example of John the Baptist. And when Jesus is coming, right, when Jesus begins his full-time ministry and John's disciples ask him, well, who is this Jesus guy and what should we do? Should we confront him? And John says, no, he's the guy that I've been preparing the way for. He has to increase and I must decrease. To be identified, to be united with Christ is to say that I must decrease. Paul puts it another way in one of his other letters to the Galatians. And you may have heard this before as well in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. In essence, what Paul is saying is the old me is dead. And the me that's here today is only here today because of Jesus. Because I'm so closely knitted with who Jesus is and what he has done for me. If we go back even and we look at Romans chapter 1, just the second uh, or the third word of that whole phrase, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Servant there doesn't mean necessarily a servant. It would be better translated a slave. That's what Paul was. He considered himself a slave to Christ. He said, I am a slave to Christ. I have no rights. I have no other ambition, no other desire, no other objective in life other than to honor and serve my master, that being Jesus. To be identified with Christ is to say that I must decrease. So how do we respond to that? Well, we need to respond to that by surrender, this idea of surrendering. How often do we grab so tightly onto the things of our life, my life, my time, my car, my friends, my room, my clothes, my computer, my priorities, rather than saying, God is in your hands. I trust you. Things may not be going the way that I want, but I trust you. My life in your hands. It is you who is living in and through me. Rankin Wilburn, he he says something like this. He says, perhaps then, another reason it's difficult, if not impossible, for us to embrace union with Christ is because it displaces us from the center of our own lives. What he's saying is, why do we have such a hard time with this idea of union with Christ? Because it's demanding us to get out of the way, to get out of the middle, to get out of the center of your own life. It tells us, or it displaces us from the center of our own lives where we naturally love to be. It tells us that the most important part of our identity comes from where? Outside ourselves. And that, therefore, our posture needs to be one of dependence and vulnerability or surrender of waiting and trust to an age that embraces self-promotion as fervently as our own, union with Christ will come across not only as bizarre and strange, but even distasteful and offensive. This doesn't make sense. Paul writes about this later in 1 Corinthians. He says, following Christ is foolishness to the world. It doesn't make any sense to them. Why would, they would say to you, why would you do that? And we say, because he is everything. He is everything. To be united with him is life. And to not be united with him is death. How do we respond? We respond by surrendering. Second point. Identity in Christ means that I have hope. 
And you may have heard that last quote. You may have heard that last statement that I must decrease. And you might think, that sounds rather bleak. I don't want to do that. I like being in control. And is it so bad to be in control? I think Paul is getting at the fact that we're looking at it wrong. To be united with Christ isn't to simply just deny yourself. It is to get the better thing. And we forget that so often, don't we? We don't see Jesus as the better thing. We see him as an alternative option. Maybe that's going to save us from, from hell. I hope it saves me from hell. That's the option we think of Christ. Not this, I get to be with him. I have a hope in who Jesus is. It's almost a reluctant following of Jesus. And I hope and I pray that we don't follow Christ reluctantly, but rather that we would follow him with hope and expectation. Even Paul sees himself, right, as a slave, but he finds it a privilege. How can he possibly do that? How can he possibly see himself as a slave of Jesus Christ and be so hopeful? Well, I think we see it in the remainder pretty much of that entire passage. So let's look at that one more time. Let's go back to Romans in the text there. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, so on and so forth. He keeps on going. Paul says, here I am. I'm writing this letter to you, but this is what the letter is about. It's about this guy named Jesus. Jesus, who was promised to us a long time ago, that promise has been realized. That gives us hope. This Jesus, who was persecuted and who was ridiculed, that Jesus rose again from the dead, and he is worth following, let me tell you. Right? He was the, the, the draw of, the, of every single town that Jesus went into. And what Paul is saying is we have hope in this guy. Because he's not just an up-and-comer. He was the promised one of Israel. That's what all of chapter 1 of Romans is really getting at. Is this Jesus is not someone who just magically appeared. This Jesus is someone who was promised from even the beginning of time. What defines Paul and what gives Paul his status and what gives Paul his hope is Jesus. Jesus is at the center of Paul's life. Jesus is at the center and the purpose of Paul's mission. This is what he hopes in. And you might think to yourself, well, Jimmy, that doesn't sound very hopeful. Again, who's at the center of your life? Is it you or is it Christ? Who are you united to? Is it to yourself and your own selfish desires? Are united to Christ. So what does this require of us? If we think of ourselves as being identified in Christ and then therefore we have hope, what response should we have? Our response to a hopeful Christ is worship. So not just a surrendering and a bowing down before Jesus, it's also a worship of him to recognize, God, you deserve the glory. You deserve my life. You deserve my attention. You deserve everything that I work for, that my glory wouldn't be made known, but that your glory would be made known. I live for you. Again, in the book Union with Christ, he says this. 
union with Christ grounds us in a way no other mindset ever could. If you choose to find your identity in Christ, you will lose nothing of what makes life beautiful and free. You will move from searching for an identity to being found in Christ. Let me read that last part again. You will move from searching for an identity to being found in Christ. I think all of us in this room, we want to find significance in this world. And a lot of times, the way that we fight for significance is that we live for other people or other things rather than Jesus Christ himself. So make him your center. Make him your all. I mentioned this quote a couple of weeks back at WASH. Uh, and it's by a missionary, a guy named Jim Elliott, who, who lost his life being a missionary, taking the gospel uh, to a native tribe in South, a- South America, not South Africa, uh, South America. He says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. What Jim is essentially saying is, I'm not going to worship the things that will fade away. I'm going to worship the one who is eternal, who is forever. I will give up gladly those things that will fade away to follow the one who will never fade away, that being God. So identity in Christ means uh, we must decrease. Identity in Christ means we have a hope. But this is the kicker for us. And this is why Paul even writes this entire letter. Identity in Christ means that we have a calling. No less than five times has Paul mentioned calling, being set apart, having a mission, having a purpose right? We see it in verse 1, in verse 5, in verse 7. He often talks about we're called out, and not only for himself, how he's been set aside, but he says, church, you also are set aside. This work of making the gospel known is not just for people like Paul. It's for all of us, to the entire church. This is why Paul was so passionate to make known to the Romans and to the church in Rome why we ought to go out into the world. Christ is making himself known through us. We've talked about this before, haven't we? This idea that God chooses to use us as his ambassadors. He uses us as his representatives to make known the gospel. And what is our response to this? Well, we have to think about who then is around us that we can bring the good news of Jesus to. And some of us, we're, we're terrified of that. I know I was terrified of that. I'll tell you, I'm getting super real and honest and, and uh, vulnerable before you guys here. So when I was a senior in high school, um, no, no I, was, I was a junior. This is what makes it even more just kind of like, oh, gosh, that's so weird. Um, when I was a junior in high school, I had a friend of mine, uh, a girl, call me. And she was like, ooh. Uh, and she, she asked me to prom. And I was like, man, we're friends. I, I don't even know what I said to her. I just know, like... We're friends. I don't, I don't want to go to prom with you. I didn't say it like that, but it pretty much came off that way. Uh, I was not very good with girls, uh, not at all. But this is what, this, this is so, so out there. I'm not making this up. This was her next question to me. Even though I like just flat out rejected her and made her feel so small. You know what she said? She goes, Jimmy, there's something different about you. And I think it's something that has to do with Jesus and church. Can you tell me more? And while I was so quick to tell her no about prom, I had no answer. 
I had no answer for her when she asked me what makes me so different. I hung up the phone. Um, I know, I told you, I wasn't very good. I was like super awkward. I still am pretty awkward. Um, And uh, that thought haunted me for the rest of that week until the Sunday after. uh, And I went to my youth pastor and I was like, hey, so... This is what happened. I didn't tell him everything because I didn't want to embarrass this girl. And I was just like, someone asked me about my faith, and I didn't know what to say. Can you help me? And, um, and he explained, like, man, it's, the fact that she just asked you means you've already done a lot of the hard work of building relationship with someone and making it evident Jesus was working in you and through you to make it evident that there's something different about you and they're asking you. So now all you got to do is keep on pointing them to Jesus with your words and not just with your actions. And I love that I've been here at Perimeter Church and I get to see how you guys as a student ministry are incredibly, incredibly gifted and um, have an incredible opportunity to have leaders who are articulate and can share their faith with you and are leading you week to week, ask them, how can I communicate the gospel to the people around me? Not only do we have leaders that are investing, we have a staff that invests in you, go talk to one of the leaders. And not only do we have uh, adult volunteers and a staff that's invested in you, we have an entire church that is all about making new disciples of Christ by spreading and communicating the good news of Jesus. We have no excuse, friends. No excuse. I do not want you to relive those horrific moments that I lived back in my junior year of high school many, many years ago. Have an answer for what it looks like when someone asks, why are you so different? What makes your community different? What makes you, when you say that you're a Christian, so different from these other people who say that they're Christians? I believe it is because of our union with Christ. I love what Wilburn says. This is my last quote from this book here. I love what he says here. He says, Because we are relentless in trying to justify our lives, because we will use anything, even our virtue, even our goodness, to keep God at a distance, we can't hear this song of grace too loudly or too often. We always need to hear it at full volume, all the way up, undiluted, in all of its shocking candor, grace abounds. What Rankin-Wilburn is getting at is we need to preach to ourselves this gospel and don't mute it down like it's background music at Starbucks. But you got to be like my kids, who, since having watched The Greatest Showman, are like nonstop, oh, 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 like it is nonstop. In our house. I mean, I say that, I, I hear that little riff in my skin. Like, I get bad goosebumps. Like, no, please, not again. And sure enough, if you know my son, he is like unabashedly like, give me what I want. Like, he's a little monster. Uh, so we're in the car, and he will say, Daddy, turn it up. I can't hear it. And I'll turn it up, and it like goes up to 30. Daddy, I still can't hear it. Turn it up. It's like, what about a please? Turn it up now. Please. Now, Please. It's just so loud. That's the picture I get in my head when I hear this quote, right? We can't hear the song of the gospel enough too loudly or too often. We must hear it at full volume, all the way up, 
undiluted. Because that's good news. And it's a reminder of who you are because of Jesus. Union with Christ is identity in Christ. Identity in Christ is union with Christ. To, to be in Christ, that's everything. I think that will help us understand this series better. I think that will help you navigate life as a follower of Christ better. In Christ. And what's interesting is that Paul, in all of his writing, he very rarely, if ever, mentions the church people as Christians. You know what he says? You who are in Christ. He always refers to the churches, not as Christians, but those who are in Christ and in whom Christ is. That's what I long to see here at Watershed. That's what I long to see in our groups and discipleship. That's what I long to see beyond the walls of this church. So surrender to Jesus. Forget about those counterfeit things. Find your identity in Christ. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that you thought of us even before time began. That your love for us, it expands conceivable distance. That your care, your grace, and your mercy and tenderness toward us is greater than any other person can show here on this earth. So, Father, for those of us in this room who are struggling tonight, or today, this week, maybe this month has just been really crappy. Maybe this year, 2019, so far has just been just really tough. God, I pray that you would lead them and draw them to you and that they would find their identity in you. Father, for those of us in this room who've, who know not life, outside of being a Christian, that we wouldn't grow so tired of that incredible blessing, but that we just go to the radio and turn that song up even louder and say, Jesus, that gospel of grace is a song I will never tire of. So we pray, God, through your spirit, that you would refresh us and that you would stir in our hearts in such a way that we would long for you more and more, day by day. We thank you for Watershed. We thank you for our leaders. We thank you for this church. God, we pray that we would indeed be a community that finds our identity in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.